we now are entering into the second half of this decade, approaching the year 2020. We have five years if Jesus tarries. And uh, if things continue as they are, we're going to be seeing some really exciting things happening in the 2020s. And uh, a whole lot of it is to do with massive changes which are going to come to our country. Massive changes that will have constitutional repercussions linked with the handover of one monarch to the other. And um, what that might mean. One thing is clear. There's going to be massive social changes. And the rate of changes happening so quickly, we can hardly keep up with it. But when it hits us on three dimensions or three directions, socially, politically, and religious changes, massive religious changes are coming to our nation. All this will bring massive additional pressures on anybody who is seeking to follow Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? <laughs> Some of you are doubtful. Well, I, it's always good news when the Holy Spirit alerts us to stuff because he says that along with those challenges is going to be fresh manifestations of his presence, his power, and his glory. He's going to continue to equip us with everything we need to live for him. And I think there are three main ways in which we have to focus our attention in this year and in the years ahead in preparing for what God is going to be doing. We need to enter deeper and deeper than ever before in deeper levels of faith and understanding in the things of God and personal experience of Him, knowing what we believe and be able to articulate that more than ever before, and knowing why we believe it, having real confidence that we are following truth, not just some ideas that we can select out of the smorgasbord of current spiritualities today. And even more than that, to know whom we believe. The Apostle Paul said, I know whom I have believed. He had a deep knowledge of God and was asking his people and the people who read his letters to go deeper and deeper with God. Then, of course, we will see that in society itself will become increasingly intolerant. The ABC philosophy, anything but Christian, is going to deepen. But as that happens, so society will become increasingly dependent upon the spirituality of the church of Jesus Christ. Because as so often is the case, society makes its laws and passes its measures, which so often damage people and the church is running around picking up the pieces. We're going to have to have a strong healing ministry, ministry of compassion as society beats people up and rejects them and neglects them. More and more people are going to be looking to the love and compassion of the church of Jesus Christ as living representatives of our Savior. And not only will this be our credibility factor, but it will also be a tremendous opportunity to rescue many, many people and see them recreated in Christ and enjoying life in the kingdom of God. And then also we've got to really understand once and for all what the Bible means by Christian community. 
It's not just about a collection of people who choose voluntarily to go to this church or that church or any other church, but of people who are called together by the Holy Spirit to stand as one body under his anointing for his purposes to be fulfilled within that Christian community. I want you to begin to think, as never before, what does it mean to live and grow together in the purity of our faith and how we faithfully represent Jesus in our contemporary world. And, and throughout this new year, we're going to be giving you many opportunities just to do that, to grow as believers of Jesus and, and to develop as disciples in the world so that you will see your marketplace ministry not just as a place where, where you can witness for Jesus, but a place where you can make a difference for Jesus. So that God's people scattered like salt and light all over London may be able to speak up for him, to shine with the brilliance of who Jesus is, to discover the deepest things about you, not just to live on the surface of who you say you are and all of the pretense that often happens when we show up to church on Sundays, but to open our hearts to one another with wisdom, to let people know what's really happening inside, and to acknowledge the mess that there still is there, which is linked to the flesh, but to go deeper than the flesh and to understand the dynamics of the Holy Spirit, that godlike nature that is implanted within your spirit. For we have been made partakers of the divine nature by which we escape the corruption that's in the world through lusts and desires. I'd love you to discover this year more than ever before who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you. And the deeper you go with Jesus, the closer you get to him. And the deeper you go in your own life and spirit, the more of Jesus you discover because Jesus is implanted deep within your heart, deeper than any of those external things, deeper even than the flesh struggles that you have. Beneath it all, there is the pure gold of his presence and that wonderful new nature wanting to shine out and reflect his beauty and glory in the world. Now tonight I want to come to my main message, and I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 1. And I've entitled this message, Make 2015 Count. Make it count for God. Hopefully, I'll share some helpful ways in which we can do that together. Let's read verses 1 through 8, Deuteronomy chapter 1. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness. In the plain opposite Suf between Paran, Tophel, Laban, uh, Hazorat, and Dizhab. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now it came to pass in the 40th year, it was 11 days' journey, but now 40 years later, in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him as commandments to them, after he had killed Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who dwelt in Ashtoreth in Edrai. On this side of the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb, saying, 
you have dwelt long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains and the lowland, in the south and on the seacoast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them and to their descendants after them. We stand, as it were, upon the mountain, looking out across the plains of Canaan, represented by our 2015. I believe that God is saying, go out and possess in 2015 all that I have given you to possess. Make 2015 count. Now my question is, why did an 11-day journey take 40 years? If it was London, I'd understand that. 40 years it takes sometimes to cross from one side of London to the other. Thank God, just for Kensington Temple people, uh, the city has laid on for us free transport home tonight. I'm sure you'll thank them. 40 years it took to come back virtually to the same point, not exactly the same geographical point, 11-day journey from where they had escaped from Egypt to Kadesh Barnea, where they were encouraged to go out and possess the land. Of course, they refused, and 40 years later, God brought them again to the same moment when they were invited and indeed commanded to cross the, uh, to go into, into Canaan, this time they're on the Transjordan side, the eastern side of the Jordan. Different geographical location, but the same spiritual opportunity. What had happened in those 40 years? 40 wasted years in which God said in Psalm 95, I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. I don't know more fearful words for a believer than these words where God says, I've offered, you've refused, and now it's over. You will not enter into your inheritance. This isn't talking about getting saved and losing it, but it is talking about not achieving everything that God empowers you to achieve according to his plan for your life. So already now I'm throwing out some measuring sticks by which you can measure what an effective year really looks like. Forty years later, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, a new generation had, had arisen. This was a different generation from the past. Every single person, 20 years and upward, who escaped from Egypt now had perished in the wilderness. But there was a new generation arising. A new generation with with a new spirit, with new attitudes, with a new heart, a heart that was willing to pursue God fully. And I kind of believe that God is getting ready to raise up a similar generation in our days. And we also know that at this point there was going to be a new leader. Moses was going to hand over to Joshua. Joshua was going to take the place of Moses. And I think with every new venture, God raises up new leaders, but in particular, a new spirit of leadership. 
And when you see this new spirit of leadership, you will say, he's not talking like he used to talk. He's not saying quite the same things. What's happened? What's changed? Well, I tell you, what has changed? The season has changed. And the, the job of leadership to be out there catching the flow of the Holy Spirit and, and catching the fresh anointing, the fresh flows to take God's people into new territory. Along with this, there were going to be new temptations, new battles, new trials. Things were going to change. It was not going to be the same as before with the same comfortable things, the same comfortable existence. You think it's rather strange to say they were comfortable in the desert, but they had grown very comfortable. They had everything that they needed. God was faithful to them. His mercies were new every morning. They reached out of their tent. Food was provided for them. There were no cobblers. Uh, their shoes naturally repaired, and as the kids grew, the shoes grew with them. My, 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 who wouldn't like that blessing? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, kids' shoes are so expensive, even more expensive than adult shoes, and and you don't need to look at them before they have to change them. But their shoes didn't, they, neither did their feet swell. They had everything, and they would just look every day, and, and whether they want to sunbathe in the glorious sunlight, or whether they want to shelter under the cloud of God's glory, it was all there for them. At night time, no central heating was necessary, no fan heating, no chilly nights, because God himself was a fire that warmed them. No enemies to fight, or not very many. They just had to learn to live together, and, and they did, and they kind of enjoyed it, but God was saying that was going to change. No more manna, no more fire, no more cloud, and plenty of enemies. You're going to have to dig for your own food. You're going to have to fight for your own victory, and you're going to have to build your own properties. But the most important thing was God in all his grace said, 40 years ago, your fathers blew it, but I'm giving you a new and fresh opportunity to enter into the promised land. How to avoid wasted years. When you look back on 2014, I'm pretty sure that nearly all of us will be able to rejoice in something. God is good. And all the time, and 2014 was no exception. But maybe you can look back and, and look at some wasted moments. Maybe some of you will say, you know what? There were a lot of wasted moments in 2014. Many wrong decisions which I took, perhaps, and where I wasn't as fully full on for God, and, and I've begun to eat some of the fruit of that stuff, and I, I want every moment in 2015 to count. There are some people probably who are going through a season of wasted years. And I'm sure that for at least some of you, this prophetic word is going to ring true and set you free. I want to tell you in Jesus' name, 2015 is going to be different. And you can make the choice, but it's going to be different. No more wasted years. No more wasted time. You're going to make 2015 count for God. So how can we learn to do this? I think it's good to learn from the mistakes of others. When people make mistakes, don't judge them, criticize them, but learn. And when we see these people, it's very easy, especially for me as a preacher, to underline in my Bible, oh, they were dumb there, that was a stupid thing to do, how could they do that? 
And yet every underlining is a finger pointing at my own life. Because what was in them that tended to take them away from God's best is also in us. In the New Testament, the Bible calls it the flesh. The Old Testament, I might as well just call it immaturity. Because that was the biggest obstacle, their own immaturity. What were their mistakes for all those 40 years? I think, first of all, they had failed to understand what God was up to. They, they missed the big picture. They didn't see the wood for the trees. God was telling his story through them. The great drama of the Exodus, which became the cornerstone of a new society, a new community, the birth of Israel of old. And they were more interested in their own agenda than what God was up to. They were more concerned about their things than God's things. And as a result of that, they missed the glory of God. That's a surefire recipe for wasting 2015. Missing the glory of God by not hooking in to his story, his big picture, and understanding it's not about me. It's about what God is doing in me and through me and amongst us as believers. And chief of all, in this time, what God was up to was establishing his glory, revealing his glory. They thought of themselves as the center of everything. It was all about them. But God says, no, I'm doing this. I love you, and I'm fulfilling my purposes in you. But I'm doing this for the sake of the glory of my name because I have a big plan, and it doesn't begin with you. It doesn't end with you. You have a part to play, but you are not the main hero. They pursued God's acts above his ways. They were very excited about the miracles, or at least many of them. But some of the miracles were so scary that if it, was, if it depended on their faith, nothing would have been done. It was God's grace. He said, I'm going to reveal my glory through all these miraculous signs and wonders. And I'm going to establish a reputation for myself amongst the nations. That all the nations will know that when I judge Egypt, later on when I judge the Amorites of Canaan, all the world is going to know that I am a holy God, I'm a just God, I'm a righteous God, and I reveal myself and my glory. They were more concerned about their own comforts, the present day stuff, immediate blessings. Many of us today would still say somehow to God, maybe not like this, God, give me happiness now, holiness can wait. 2015, happiness, and when you come again, we'll start talking about holiness. We are more concerned about our own needs, our own comforts, our immediate blessings, rather than pursuing our main purpose of life, which is intimacy with God. They were looking for instant satisfaction and the things that made them feel good in the moment. Now, I hope that you feel good when I preach. Well, at least there's something in there that you can feel good about. But sometimes when God confronts us with his wisdom and truth, it makes us feel uncomfortable because it cuts against the flesh which cries out for immediate gratification. And because they were so self-centered, they were always dissatisfied. Have you noticed that? Self-centered people are the hardest to please. In fact, they're never satisfied because they can never quite be satisfied with them being the center. Although that's what they strive for because that seat is occupied by none other than Jesus Christ himself. 
And when you try to sit in his chair, don't think it's going to be comfortable and satisfying. They are most dissatisfied self-centered people and also most ungrateful and most complaining. They never saw the good. They just focused on what they wanted to change. And therefore, they very often rejected or indeed at least wrongly challenged legitimate spiritual authority. We'll see a little bit more about that later. All of this is a recipe to waste 2015. But how can we make 2015 really count? I'd say several things tonight. Let's see how fast midnight comes along as to how many I give you. First of all, learn to trust God despite what you see with your eyes. Very, very significant. And as I've been looking at these passages and dwelling on them over the last few days, I kind of, my own haughtiness and pride kind of was melted when I saw how I could identify with so many of the things that they did wrong. And it's understandable. Don't if you remember when God called Moses and sent him, sent him into Egypt and to say, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And um, I wonder what Pharaoh expected, what Moses expected of Pharaoh. Hey, bring me a message from the living God who appeared to me. Here's miracles to show you that I'm speaking the truth. Thus says the Lord, Yahweh, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, Yahweh, I don't know who he is. Let my people go. How dare you? And he increased the bondage and slavery. He said, you got to make the same quantity of bricks and you gather your own straw. And you can imagine the people as they went had to work doubly hard. Their, 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 their servanthood, their servitude was unbearable before. And now it had doubled, making bricks without straw. Pretty soon they were mumbling and grumbling. This Moses should never listen to him. Who'd have a pastor like that? Can we find another one? But we all know in our own experience, don't we, that sometimes when God speaks the clearest, often it gets worse before it gets better. Have you ever experienced that? That rings a bell. And when they were finally delivered, and Moses led them out, and Pharaoh had a change of heart and chased them, and backed them against the Red Sea, suddenly they lost all faith and confidence. They looked at the circumstances, fairer armies coming one way, the Red Sea behind them, and marshy land and rocky ground all around them, no escape. So they turned on Moses and said, Are there no graves in Egypt that you brought us here to die? Trust God, despite what you see around you. Then when they finally got into the into the wilderness, they suddenly realized, hey, we're in a desert. Where's, where's the nearest refreshment bar? Where's the nearest, nearest kiosk? There was nothing. There wasn't even any McDonald's. I know you find that very difficult to believe, but also even harder to believe, there was no Coca-Cola. <laughs> nothing, nowhere where they could go for food or, or drink, but God gave them water. God gave them food, manna. Have you ever tasted manna? When I was in northern Iraq, I tasted manna. Well, I, I questioned it as well. I said, you know, God said the manna ceased, but in a certain part of northern Iraq, on the, on the, on the treetops, 
a dew-like, sticky, sweet substance appears, which, if it's not exactly what was happening in the wilderness, is very, very similar. And it's amazing. It's wonderful. It's sweet. They make it into cakes and sweets. But imagine that every single day. Over this last week, seven days and three kilos later, as you have been going from one sweet thing to the other sweet thing, perhaps one day you've said, I have had enough. I want something else to eat. And that's what they felt like. They said, you've given us this kind of bread, but we want meat. We want meat. And when they finally were presented with uh, the challenges of the promised land, they said, it's impossible. The fortifications are too, too strong. The people are too well organized. They are giants in the land. And every one of these things were visible signs to their physical eyes which contradicted the word of God which was invisible. That's what the walk of faith is all about. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, We walk by faith, not by sight. If you open your eye, follow only what you can see with your eyes, you end up sowing to the flesh, following good feelings, physical stuff, and you will forget your life in the Spirit. And that's how to waste time. But it's hard to trust God when things don't seem to be working out as we want. Have you noticed that? It's all very well when we say, thank you, Jesus, and everything happens. Sometimes we ask, and it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen the way we want in our timing. And then we start looking at our circumstances and focusing on the wrong things and then losing sight of God's invisible promises and his power. So when you learn to trust God despite what you see, you will learn to walk humbly, faithfully, patiently, and obediently. Sounds like a good training program. Trust God despite what you see. Second thing I want to say, 2014, 2015, drop your agenda. I don't know if you got a 2015 agenda through the post or calendars or what have you. Now, I know that at a practical level, we need to plan our time. But be careful as you write down your busy agenda, be careful that you are not putting into that agenda your own heart agenda rather than God's agenda. What am I talking about? As you drop your agenda, your own personal self-centered agenda, and take up God's agenda, God's bigger year planner for your life, you will find that you will be prepared to face whatever happens knowing that God is in it. Naturally speaking, we choose our own comfort. What makes us feel good now? Our immediate good. Our immediate needs being met. I predict, and this isn't prophecy, I predict as we're having a general election soon, there'll be a lot of feel-good stuff being thrown around. You watch as every politician wants us to feel good and vote for them. But God wants us to vote for him whether we feel good or not. That's maturity. If we only go down the feel-good line, we'll end up just like the men and women of the world. But it is hard to trust God when things don't seem to be working very well. 
So we will write into our agenda not just the things pursue, not just the things that, that bring us comfort or meet our immediate needs. It's not wrong to do that, but as long as they're in second place. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, and these things will be added. So we put at the top of our agenda, God, what he means to us, and our relationship with him, become passionate with him, and in him. And we'll find the other things begin, begin to fall into place. And if they don't immediately, who, who, who's worried about that? So what? We have God. He's everything we need. Can I have an amen in the house of God? That was a very feeble amen. That's better. <laughs> Remember, God is telling a bigger story. Our lives are part of the bigger picture, the larger purposes of God. I said earlier, it's not just about you. It doesn't begin with you, doesn't end with you. And even though the exodus and the deliverance from Egypt and all those years in the wilderness going on into the promised land was a decisive moment in God's story that he was telling, it didn't begin with the exodus. It didn't begin with that generation. It didn't end with that generation. In fact, you've got to go further back in history, really to the beginning of the Bible, but let's go as far back as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 400 or more years earlier, God chose a man and said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to give you a child, an offspring, and in your seed all nations shall be blessed but your people are going to go into, into Egypt for 40 years and they're going to stay there for, for 400 years rather. And they're going to stay there because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. What's that all about? So God knew that the time was coming when he was going to have to judge the inhabitants of Canaan. They weren't just inconvenient possessors of land that God wanted to take over. It was not that. The children of Israel were God's hand of judgment over a generation and a, a group of people that God was angry with. Don't forget, God is a God of holiness and righteousness. Don't just think of him as the lovey-dovey kind of God. Understand who he is. You don't mess with him. And also at this time, God was saying, not only am I going to raise you out of Egypt and then finally take you to the promised land because the iniquity of the Amorites has now been fulfilled, God says, I'm going to show myself glorious and mighty in Egypt. 430 years in Egypt. And then God says, I'm calling you a holy nation to witness to all the nations and I'm going to raise you up as a nation of people who will prepare the way and indeed out of you shall come the seed of Abraham and in him all the nations shall be blessed. Right until this very day, what God was doing back then was speaking of what happened. We've been celebrating over Christmas the coming of Christ and what God is doing in the Christian church. And now we look back to the faith of Abraham as our father, the father of the faithful, and we know that God was working Step by step, his story, so you and I ultimately can be here tonight celebrating him. What is God's agenda then? It's the same now. God is revealing his glory, his deliverance of the children of Israel, his judgment of Egypt with great signs and wonders, and the ultimate conquest of Canaan. All of this was about God manifesting his glory. They missed that. They didn't understand what God was doing. 
That's what made sense of that struggle in Egypt, all those plagues. God was saying, I'm going to deliver you with a great outstretched arm, and that stubborn man, Pharaoh, is going to be my instrument by which I can manifest my power and my glory. Imagine all of those great miracles ending up with this great deliverance from the Red, through the Red Sea. God manifesting his glory. The fame of God's name was spread around the nations. No other nation has had a God like this, a God who intervenes, a God who is so miraculous, a God who is so powerful, a God who cannot be messed with, and yet a God who loves his people personally and intimately. What's God's purpose? What's his big agenda for your life and mine in 2015? It's not just that we might have a happy, enjoyable 2015, but that whatever happens, we should become more like Jesus. Spiritual maturity at the top of his agenda, not immediate satisfaction of our desires. Now, you may not like rehearsing this tonight, but you know it's true. You know that God's great purpose, rather than making, giving us an easy ride, he wants to reveal his glory in us so that his glory might be reflected through us. And therefore, we have to grow more and more like the image of Jesus so his glorious face can be reflected through us to others. Amen and amen. God's great purpose in saving children of Israel was that he should have a relationship with them. He said, I, I carried you up on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. That's what it was all about. So if that's the case, surely you and I must say, top of my agenda, I want to develop my intimate relationship with God, not just as a discipline, but as a delight because he is the only one who answers to the deepest longings of our hearts. Relationship, I will be your God. Holiness, I want you to be like me. Be holy, for I am holy. That's God's agenda. So the first thing, trust God despite what, the evidence of what you see around you. Secondly, drop your own agenda. Take God's big agenda for your life. Thirdly, learn to focus on the goodness and the power of God. That's how we make it. This means we are never independently self-assertive to say, God, I can do it. Self-reliance, self-effort is sure fire route to a wasted year. Do you remember when God gave the law and they were all there and Moses read it out? Their first response was so hasty. It was dumb. It was stupid. They said, all these things we will do without reflection. They thought they could do it. And what they're really saying, we can do this. And the whole point of the law was God letting them know they can't do it. It's impossible. Without me, you can do nothing, God says. But in Philippians 4.13, the chorus we recite is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe that's where some things have started to go wrong in your life. Maybe you submitted yourself to some kind of legalistic message. I've got to shape up my life. 
so I look a little bit better. I've got to sort this out, sort that out, but start managing my life in a kind of way that organizing, that I can at least show to others that I'm pleasing God. And you say, I can do it. And the moment you do that, watch it. You're in for a fall. You've got to say, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me? That's the way to de true dependence on God. It's not arrogance, but brokenness. True brokenness. If you step into 2015 with a kind of right, right kind of fear and trepidation, thinking, God, I am a bit scared because as I step into this, this next year, I know I can't last one day without your goodness, without your grace. Please supply me what I really need. But when we learn that, learn to trust on God's power and in God's goodness, we discover that we're caught up. It's like a river that's carrying us, and we find ourselves carried along by the, by the hands of the Holy Spirit because God is always at work in us to will and do of His good pleasure. He first plans His work, and then secondly, works His plan. We just got to hook up with Him. That's how it happens. He'll give you everything he has. He, he will allow you to draw on all of his resources. He will not hold back one bit of his power to see you through. But you've got to hook up with him. He's so thoroughly committed to you. But he wants you to take his yoke upon you so that you can walk with him. Number four, and the final thing this evening. Align yourselves with the right people. Who are the right people? The right people are people who are committed to seeing Christ formed in you as you are committed to seeing Christ formed in them. The right people are those who will encourage you always to grow. To trust God and obey God. That's why in this church we have what we call the cell vision. So that we are not alone. The Bible says that we're to encourage one another daily. How can you do that? I know we have meetings all, over, all around the week, but not all the meetings are for everybody. The Sunday meetings are the big general meetings for everybody, but you can't wait once a week just to come and encourage people. And anyway, our Sunday meetings, as tonight, it's not particularly designed that you can personally interact. You do in between and afterwards and, and so on, but it's not focusing on how you can build one another up and do it on a daily basis. That's why we say get into a cell group with like-minded people so that you can do it together because you're not traveling alone. I don't want anybody to think that they're going it alone, they're traveling it alone. Hook in with the structure of the church. It's, it, structure only gives you an opportunity. It doesn't guarantee that anything's going to happen. That depends on you. But at least every single person in the church can be part of a community growing together and sharing Christ together. Israel was not just a single community. Israel was made up of tribes and clans and families. Find your place in the community. 
so that you can be encouraged to grow and encourage others to grow. And as you do this, you're aligning yourself with positive people and not stuck with the negative people. Amen? Amen. Now, it's not just the negativity of others. You know, I don't like negative people. And you you confess to you why is because I don't find myself sufficiently positive to counteract their negativity. When people are coming around negative, I said, would you please be quiet? Stop that negative stuff. I've got enough of my own to deal with. So negativity begins, or dealing with it, begins with dealing what's happening here. The negativity within. And the devil is such a negative influence. He's always down on you. He's always accusing you. He's always criticizing you. He's always seeking to take away your worth in Christ. Conquer that within and become a positive influence. And you will learn how to stop in their tracks those negative people. Do you remember just before at Kadesh Barnea when Moses said, God's telling us to go and take the land. They said, okay, which route should we take? I mean, it was a trap. Moses fell for it and regretted it later. Okay, well, I don't know which route. Okay, let's send some scouts. People to go and have a look at the land and and come and give us a report. And, And they chose, the people chose for themselves one person from each tribe. And unfortunately, the negative people chose negative leaders. Ten out of the twelve were negative. Only two, Caleb. And Joshua came back with a positive report. The rest of them came back with a negative report. It's a wonderful land, but oh, it's just, we'll never be able to do it, you know. It's impossible. It's no way because their cities are fortified and, uh, and, and there are giants in the land. It's good, but there are giants everywhere. We're never going to do it. And this negative report took root in the negative hearts of people. And as a result of that, they wasted 40 years and every one of them died in the wilderness. Be careful before you take negative reports. When somebody's around you is talking negatively, stop them. Carry a pair of earplugs in your pocket. Hold it before you say another word. If you can't stop talking, I can stop listening. Remember, a lot of people do this with a lot of pseudo-spirituality. It's very easy when people start being negative because it makes them sound clever. But be careful, there are some people who think they are cleverer than God. God said, go and do it, I will give it to you. And they said, we can't do it, it's impossible. They knew better than God. And all negativity ultimately is an assault upon the integrity of God himself. God says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Amen and amen. Right? So, as a result of this negativity, they were kept out of the promised land. But that wasn't the first time it happened. If you read through Exodus, you'll find it way back in the beginning. After they came out of the land of Egypt, it was tough. They were not used to desert living. And and there was a mixed multitude. A mixed multitude. Don't think that everybody that shows up in church services or sits alongside you in cell meetings is some sweet saint. Don't think that. We're not exclusive here. We don't kick people out 
just because they don't look good or don't fit in. But at the same time, as in those days, so in these days, sometimes there are people around who are not sharing the heart and vision of the house. There are people who would rather spend time reminding you of the external pleasures of the old way of life. And these people got together and were sick of this. You know, in Egypt, they had better food than this. I can remember that restaurant. Remember the restaurant, garlic, cucumbers, and all that? It was amazing. And pretty soon, these weak Israelites were salivating and thinking, we better go back to Egypt. These kind of people, they kind of recreate within you, they provoke within you desires for the former way of life. The familiar smells and tastes of the old life have nothing to do with them. It sounds harsh. But you need to get with good people and don't give up on anybody that confront their negativity. It wasn't just there. This kind of negativity soon found its target in the leadership that God had appointed under a guise of false egalitarianism, a false kind of equality, which is the spirit of the age. Even Aaron and Miriam got together when they disapproved of something that Moses did. And they got together, had a little tete-a-tete. And they said, you know, who does Moses think he is? Moses isn't the only one whom God speaks to. And Aaron says, exactly. Moses might, may hear God, but I am Moses' mouthpiece. Moses wouldn't be able to say a word in public if it wasn't for me. And Miriam would say, well, yes, Moses wouldn't even be on the planet if it wasn't for me. Remember how I had a hand in rescuing him? from the river, and they got together like this. Moses is not the only one who God speaks to. Did Moses ever say that? Of course not. But because of their immaturity, they began to be jealous of and and rebellious to this, and they were judged harshly. And then poor old Aaron got a taste of his own medicine when a little while later, the sons of Korah, who were the Levites, coveted the priesthood. And again, under the mask of false humility or false concept of equality, number 16, verse 3, read it, it says, They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much on yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, not just you, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? This was snake talk from the pit of hell. And notice how they had this this kind of false equality. We're all the same here. God speaks to not just to you, and God is with us all. Who do you think you are? And that's a spirit of our age in which people feel the moment a man of God or a woman of God stands up, there's always going to be somebody else standing up and says, I'm as good as you are. I know even better than you are. I can preach better than you are. I can expound the Bible better than you can. I'm a better leader than you are. I'm as good as you are. And anyway, who are you to get all these privileges standing up before people? I must have what you have. Otherwise, there's no justice or equality in the body of Christ. Spiritual snake talk. I found it very, very like this. That any time a leader stands up with an anointing and a message from God, you have people, because of their immaturity and fleshness and jealousy, start to point the finger. And how stupid. You might as well pull the rug under your own feet. 
because God appoints leaders not because they are bigger, better, more holy, more wonderful, better gifted than anybody else. God appoints leaders with spiritual authority and it is gross immaturity to rebel against that authority. It doesn't mean to say leaders are above contradiction and there's a right way of challenging and so on, but motivated by fleshly jealousy is a surefire way to waste 2015. So, for example, you might say 2015, oh, well, the leadership of the church is talking about this, that, and the other. That's fine. There's a good program there, but I won't bother with it. You know, I know better. I know how to live my own life. And you'll have another wasted year. But enter in as the Spirit leads to the good things of the house, and you will find yourself strong, fruitful, and productive because spiritual leadership is God-ordained. If you read on in Deuteronomy chapter 1, that's verse 13 and onwards, if you read it on there, you find that, that Moses was very clear about providing the right kind of leadership with wisdom, understanding, and good reputation. doesn't mean to say these were perfect people. Moses himself was not. But they were appointed by God and gifted in leadership. And there were also, as we read, different levels of leaders. Leaders over a thousand, leaders over a hundred, leaders over twenties and tens. Different levels of responsibility, but with the all, all with the same purpose of guiding and directing and leading the people of God. That's why we have various levels of leadership. Your first recourse in leadership is to your cell leader. Pray for them. Cell leadership is an is a incredible responsibility. As we're revising how we can train people in cells, we're looking at all the things ideally that we'd like cell leaders to be and do, and we have to say, let's start down here. Because really, it's a lifetime of growing and developing and advancing in leadership. Pray for your leaders. You have your primary leaders. Alongside Amanda and myself, there are leaders who are operating at a higher level. And these are the people who carry a higher level of responsibility and a higher level of accountability. We have our own church board, which is responsible for the governmental issues of the church, especially issues of governance and charity and all that kind of stuff. Well-managed, well-disciplined people. Praise God for that security and how silly it would be for us to say, who are they? What do they know? Uh, Jesus is my pastor. The Holy Spirit is my leader. And what do you think you know better than me? Align yourself with the right people. Come under the leadership of the house of God, which is not authoritarian by any stretch of imagination, but it is God-given to help you to grow, and to encourage you to make the most of 2015. So in conclusion, let's draw some lessons from the past. Now, I'm not accusing you that in 2014, this is how you lived. I'm not saying that. Maybe some of you will identify with some of these things. Some of us, with all of them, but then anyway, there's hope for us all. But the point that I'm saying is this. My prayer tonight is as a result of this message, you'll be able to take away at least one thing 
which is going to be a major key for you to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord in 2015 and beyond that, 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20. So when the 2020s arrive and God's prophetic program begins to manifest in our nation, there will be a people who are strong and discipled, who put God first, who are ready never to compromise, sacrifice whatever is necessary, knowing that their great hope is Christ-likeness in glory. Amen and amen. So what were some of the lessons of the past? They had a superficial and external relationship with God. No deep heart relationship. No deep heart connection. You only talked about superficial things. I like that chorus. I like this song. I like that preaching. I like that message. Nothing changes, but I like this. I like that. Or I don't like this. I don't like that. No deep heart connection. And, and the the poor singers and musicians trying to squeeze water out of a stone just to get one drop of genuine worship. We'll all have to go because it's a privilege to worship God. It's not about how we feel, even how good the music is. And the music is very good. In fact, it's so good, I'm going to have to test you. I'm going to have to sing and lead worship myself so you will know how bad it can be. But oh, people, let's put away these external things. Well, not put them away, but don't focus on them. It's your heart drawing closer to God and to each other. They had a shallow understanding of God's purposes. They thought it was all about them, all about their comforts, and all about their needs. God, 2015, I want this prayer answered. I want this, 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 and this. And God says, well, that's a good list. But I'm sorry, you're going to have to learn something first. You're going to have to learn that I'm not just some Santa Claus figure. I'm not just a God who hands stuff out to you. I've got a bigger purpose. I'm working in your life, a greater weight of glory. And that will include some stuff that's uncomfortable, even painful, scary verse to keep you awake till midnight, a scary verse. He that has suffered has ceased from sin. Think about that. We'll come back to that maybe in the new year. They were so centered on themselves, they were only interested in what God gave them in terms of immediate satisfactions and comforts of the moment. Is that what your prayer life is like? When have you last said, God, I don't care how you do it, whatever it takes, but glorify your name in me. Those 40 wasted years in the wilderness left them there dead in the wilderness, missing God's purpose for their lives. But what can we learn to do differently? Four lessons. Are you still with me tonight? Okay. Faith is more than claiming promises from God and sitting back enjoying them. In fact, faith has nothing to do with that. Of course, faith is about receiving stuff from God, but that's not its primary purpose and certainly not that we just sit back and enjoy them. God has a greater purpose for you in 2015. 
And it's going to take real faith to turn from your agenda and trust God to work out his plan in the way that he sees fit. Even if it's not convenient or worse still, painful at times. So the big question that we ask as we approach midnight is, God, what obedience can I offer you this year that's going to glorify your name? Not, what more can you do for me? And then finally, we make the main thing the main thing, which is to know him Intimately. To love him and pursue him passionately. And to see his character formed in our lives. So that we, at the end of 2015, look more like him than when we began. And then, through that, to make him look good in the world. Now, in a, in a few moments, we're going to be pausing just for some quiet reflection. Then we'll go to Big Ben and he will start chiming in and then it's party time. But until then, just before we go to that, I want to know if there's anybody here tonight who does not know Jesus the greatest way of stepping into 2015 is to step in 2015 as a child of God. If you don't know Jesus tonight, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I want to give you something. If we've got one of those packs that we give out, let me just show them. Every head bowed, every eye closed. There's somebody going to be able to help you at the end, but I, I just want to offer you something right now which will help you. It's just a piece, some literature and something that's going to be a blessing to you. If tonight you say, I want Jesus, I don't know him, I want to know him, I want to give my life to him, just where you're sitting, every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to lift your hand right where you are and we will send somebody to be right where you are to help you tonight. If that's you, just lift your hand right now. Anywhere in the building, so as you start 2015 as a new believer in Christ, let's see, lift your hand high. Surely there's somebody tonight. Thank you, God bless you at the back. Surely there's somebody else tonight who says, I want Jesus in my life tonight. I want to step into 2015 as a real believer in Jesus. Lift your hand right where you're sitting. Over there in Kensington Town Hall as well, downstairs in the lower hall, a large crowd gathered there. There are people there waiting for you. Father, I ask now in Jesus' name for every single person who is ready to give their life to Christ, that they would have their hearts opened by the Holy Spirit, that they may be a new believer tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen.